This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of scapholunate ligament injury and DZ from the hand section on orthobullets.com. The scapholunate ligament is important for carpal stability. Chronic scapholunate deficiency leads to a DZ deformity, which stands for dorsal intercalated segmental instability, which we'll talk more about later on in the episode. As far as the epidemiology, acute injury to the scapholunate ligament occurs in approximately 10 to 30% of intraarticular distal radius fractures or carpal fractures. Again, acute injury to the scapholunate ligament occurs in approximately 10 to 30% of intraarticular distal radius fractures or carpal fractures. As far as degenerative injury to the scapholunate ligament, degenerative tears occur in greater than 50% of people over the age of 80 years old. Again, degenerative tears in the scapholunate ligament occurs in greater than 50% of people over the age of 80 years old. With respect to location, the scapholunate ligament has three components that span between the scaphoid and lunate bones. These include the dorsal, proximal, and volar components. And keep in mind that incomplete tears are more common than complete tears. As far as the pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury for the scapholunate ligament is sudden impact force applied to the hand and wrist, causing scapholunate interosseous ligament injury and scapholunate dissociation. Injury occurs most commonly with the wrist positioned in extension, ulnar deviation, and carpal supination. Again, injury occurs most commonly with the wrist positioned in extension, ulnar deviation, and carpal supination. As far as pathoanatomy, we'll go over osseous and ligamentous implications. As far as osseous implications, scapholunate interosseous ligament tearing will position the scaphoid in flexion and lunate extension. As far as ligamentous implications, diastasis of the scapholunate complex occurs with complete scapholunate interosseous ligament tears and capsule disruption. As far as associated injuries, the one to know is a DZ deformity, which stands for dorsal intercalated segmental instability. Scapholunate dissociation causes the scaphoid to flex palmar and the lunate to dorsiflex. If left untreated, the DZ deformity can progress into a slack wrist. A DZ deformity may also develop secondary to distal pole of the scaphoid excision for treatment of scaphotrapezoidal arthritis. Keep in mind that DZ is a form of carpal instability dissociative. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. Specifically, we'll talk about the location and biomechanics of the scapholunate interosseous ligament. As far as the location of the scapholunate interosseous ligament, this is a C-shaped structure connecting the dorsal, proximal, and volar surfaces of the scaphoid and lunate bones. The dorsal fibers are thickened 2 to 3 millimeters compared to the volar fibers. As far as biomechanics, the dorsal component provides the greatest constraint to translation between the scaphoid and lunate bones. Proximal fibers have minimal mechanical strength. For an overview of other wrist ligaments and biomechanics, listen to the podcast episode about wrist ligaments and biomechanics. As far as the presentation of a scapholunate ligament injury, patients will typically have a history of an acute fall on an outstretched hand injury versus degenerative rupture. Remember to note the age, nature of injury, duration since injury, degree of underlying arthritis, and level of activity. Symptoms of scapholunate ligament injury is usually dorsal and radial-sided wrist pain. Pain is increased with loading across the wrist, for example, a push-up position. Other symptoms may include clicking or catching in the wrist, 
and this condition may be associated with wrist instability or weakness. Physical exam should include inspection, palpation, motion assessment, and certain provocative tests. On inspection, you may see swelling over the dorsal aspect of the wrist. On palpation, you may find tenderness in the anatomical snuff box or over the dorsal scaphalunate interval, which is just distal to Lister's tubercle. As far as motion assessment, you may find that pain is increased with extreme wrist extension and radial deviation in these patients. The provocative test to know is Watson's test, and this is when deviating from ulnar to radial, pressure over the volar aspect of the scaphoid produces a clunk secondary to dorsal subluxation of the scaphoid over the dorsal rim of the radius. Dorsal wrist pain or a clunk during this maneuver may indicate instability of the scapholunate ligament. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and lateral views of the wrist. Additional views may include a radial and ulnar deviation view, flexion and extension views, and a clenched fist view, which can exaggerate the diastasis. As far as findings, on AP radiographs, you may find an SL gap greater than 3 millimeters with the clenched fist view. This is otherwise known as the Terry Thomas sign. Other findings on AP radiographs include a cortical ring sign, which is caused by scaphoid malalignment, a humpback deformity with DZ associated with an unstable scaphoid fracture, and or scaphoid shortening. Again, findings on AP radiographs may include a scaphoid gap of greater than 3 millimeters with a clenched fist view, otherwise known as a Terry Thomas sign, a cortical ring sign, which is caused by scaphoid malalignment, a humpback deformity with DZ associated with an unstable scaphoid fracture, and or scaphoid shortening. Findings on lateral radiographs may include dorsal tilt of the lunate, which leads to a scaphoid angle of greater than 70 degrees on a neutral rotation lateral. Again, findings on lateral radiographs may include dorsal tilt of the lunate, which leads to a scaphoid angle of greater than 70 degrees on a neutral rotation lateral. Another finding on lateral radiographs may include a capitolunate angle of greater than 20 degrees. Finally, other findings on radiographs may include a DZ deformity, which typically manifests with normal carpal alignment and an increased scaphoid angle. Arthrography may be indicated and used as a screening tool for arthroscopy. Views include a radiocarpal and midcarpal views, and make sure to always assess the contralateral wrist for comparison. Findings on arthrography may demonstrate the presence of a tear, but cannot determine the size of the tear. A positive finding of a tear may indicate the need for wrist arthroscopy. An MRI is often overused as a screening modality for scaphoid interosseous ligament tears. With respect to findings, an MRI requires careful inspection of the scaphoid interosseous ligament by a dedicated radiologist to confirm the diagnosis. However, keep in mind that an MRI has a low sensitivity for tears. Arthroscopy is considered the gold standard for diagnosis. Again, arthroscopy is considered the gold standard for diagnosis of a scaphoid ligament injury. Treatment of a scaphoid ligament injury can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes NSAIDs, rest, plus or minus immobilization. This is indicated for acute, undisplaced scaphoid interosseous ligament injuries, as well as chronic asymptomatic tears. The technique for non-operative management typically involves splinting and close follow-up with repeat imaging and clinical response with acute injuries. As far as outcomes, most people feel casting alone is insufficient. However, this may be effective with incomplete tears. Operative options include a scaphoid lunate ligament repair, scaphoid lunate reconstruction, 
scaphoid open reduction internal fixation versus closed reduction percutaneous pinning plus or minus arthroscopic assistance, and finally stabilization with wrist fusion, that is scaphotrapezoid or scapholunocapitate. Indications for a scapholunate ligament repair is acute scapholunate ligament injury without carpal malalignment, chronic but reducible scapholunate ligament injuries, which can be performed if less than 18 months from the time of injury, as well as ligament pathoanatomy that is amenable to repair. A scapholunate reconstruction is indicated for acute scapholunate ligament injury without carpal malalignment where pathoanatomy is not amenable to repair. A scapholunate reconstruction is also indicated for reducible scapholunate ligament injuries greater than 18 months from the time of injury. A scaphoid ORIF versus closed reduction percutaneous pinning plus or minus arthroscopic assistance is indicated if the pathoanatomy of the SL ligament injury is a scaphoid fracture, then repair with ORIF versus closed reduction percutaneous pinning plus or minus arthroscopic assistance. Stabilization with wrist fusion, specifically scaphotrapezial trapezoid or scapholunocapitate, is indicated for rigid and unreducible DZ deformity as well as DZ deformity with severe degenerative joint disease. The technique involves scaphotrapezial trapezoidal fusion or a scapholunocapitate fusion. Keep in mind that a scapholunate fusion alone has the highest non-union rate. Now, let's go over some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail, specifically a scapholunate ligament direct repair of the scapholunate interosseous ligament with K-wires and a scapholunate ligament reconstruction. The approach of a scapholunate ligament direct repair of the scapholunate interosseous ligament with K-wires is a small incision that is made just distal to the radial styloid. Take care to avoid cutting the radial sensory nerve branches. As far as the methods of this technique, this can be done with scapholunate joint pinning with K-wires, suture anchors with K-wires, or a blunt dorsal capsulodesis. This is often added to a ligament repair and remains a viable alternative for a chronic instability when ligament repair is not feasible. The repair technique involves placing two K-wires in parallel into the scaphoid bone. Reduce the scapholunate joint by levering the scaphoid into extension, supination, and ulnar deviation, and the lunate into flexion and radial deviation. Then pass the K-wires into the lunate, confirm reduction of the scapholunate joint under fluoroscopy, and finally place the patient in a short-arm cast. Postoperative care will involve removing the K-wires in 8 to 10 weeks, and the patient should do no heavy labor for 4 to 6 months. Finally, the approach for a scapholunate ligament reconstruction is the same as for repair. Reconstruction will specifically involve an FCR tendon transfer for a direct SL joint reduction, an ECRB tenodesis for an indirect SL joint reduction, and finally remember that a weave is not recommended due to the high incidence of late failure. Some complications to mention include disease progression, for example, slack wrist, arthritis, post-operative pain, stiffness, or fatigue, and reduced grip strength. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 72-year-old man was involved in an automobile accident four weeks ago. Initially, he noted pain about his non-dominant left shoulder, which resolved within a few weeks after the accident. He now describes trouble with gripping and carrying items in his left hand. Radiographs reveal a gap between the scaphoid and lunate bones. His signs and symptoms are the result of injury to which of the following ligaments? 
and the choices are 1, Volar Scapholuinate Interosseus, 2, Dorsal Scapholuinate Interosseus, 3, Long Radiolunate, 4, Short Radiolunate, and 5, Dorsal Intercarpal. The correct answer to this question is 2, Dorsal Scapholuinate Interosseus. So again, the radiographs described from the question stem reveal a gap between the scaphoid and lunate bones, indicative of disruption of the scapholunate ligament complex. The three components of the complex are the dorsal scapholunate ligament, the volar or palmar scapholunate ligament, and the proximal fibrocartilaginous membrane, listed in decreasing yield strength. Disruption of the stout dorsal interosseous ligament is required for scapholunate dissociation to occur. Moving on to the next question. A 40-year-old right-handed professional football player reports persistent right wrist pain after falling during a game five days ago. A radiograph reveals an increased distance between the scaphoid and the lunate. Management should consist of, and the choices are 1, immobilization in a short-arm thumb spica cast, 2, immobilization in a long-arm thumb spica cast, 3, arthroscopic repair and percutaneous pinning, 4, open repair and percutaneous pinning, and 5, dorsal capsulodesis. The correct answer to this question is for open repair and percutaneous pinning. So the radiograph described in the question stem reveals an increased distance between the scaphoid and the lunate, which is indicative of scapholunate dissociation. A ring sign can also be present, which represents the distal pole of the scaphoid viewed end-on in a palmarly flexed position. In the acute setting, the scapholunate ligament can be repaired. Open repair and percutaneous pinning is the treatment of choice. Dorsal capsulodesis is performed in the chronic setting if such an injury is initially missed. And moving on to the final question. A 28-year-old woman fell on her right wrist while rollerblading six days ago. She was seen in the emergency department at the time of injury and was told she had a sprain. Examination now reveals dorsal tenderness in the proximal wrist, but no snuff box or ulnar tenderness. Standard wrist radiographs are normal. What is the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Arthroscopy of the wrist, 2. CT of the wrist, 3. Bilateral PA clenched fist radiograph, 4. Electromyography and nerve conduction velocity studies, and 5. AP and lateral radiographs of the forearm. The correct answer to this question is 3. Bilateral PA clenched fist radiograph. So when considering the diagnosis of scapholunate ligament injury, standard radiographic views of the hand will not always reveal widening of the scapholunate gap. Although MRI may reveal injury to the ligaments, the PA clenched fist view can be obtained in the office during the initial patient visit. Arthroscopy is not a first-line diagnostic tool. That's all for this review about scapholunate ligament injury and DZ. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.